Thanks for listening to Summit PA Sermon Audio, weekly teaching from the Summit Church in Indiana, Pennsylvania. SummitPA.church, every life made different. As Mike said, we are continuing our series today, week three of Love Song Lies, and the uh, love song that we chose for this week um, was, uh, as soon as we decided we were doing this series, this is a song I said, I really want us to do this song, uh, because uh, it feels like the lie, and it is so blatant. And I love most of the songs. Most of the song says, basically, I just want to be with you, right? And what a beautiful sentiment that is. He says, no matter what you do, no matter where you go, I just want to be with you. And that's a lovely sentiment. But then we get to the chorus, and the chorus says, I would walk 500 miles, and I would walk 500 more just to be the man who walked 1,000 miles to fall down at your door. Lies. Uh, I am, I'm desperately in love with my wife. But if she said, babe, I need you to go on a really long walk for me to prove your love for me. I'd be like, all right, what are we talking about? Like, to, to Walmart? Because that's, that's a ways. She said, no, no. I need you to walk to Chicago. I'd be like, how much do I love you? <laughs> right? I mean, come on, let's be honest. Uh, if, you, if we set out today, if we decided, okay, as soon as we're done here, we're going to walk to Chicago, Illinois, together, it would take uh, almost a full week if we didn't stop at all. If we didn't stop to take a break, to rest, to use the bathroom, to eat, nothing. If we just walked, it would take 161 hours to walk the 488 miles to get there. And then to make it worse, once we got there, We'd have to turn right around and come back. And how many of you know, once you've walked for two weeks in a row, uh, your feet would be hurting and you probably would collapse at the door, right? <laughs> probably you'd be collapsing in the ambulance, I would imagine. Uh, and so we see this hyperbole, we know that's what it is, but we just go, come on, that, that's just blatant. Like, who's going to walk a thousand miles? And that's kind of the beauty and the romance of the sentiment that, that someone would do that for someone else. But let's be honest, neither one of the proclaimers, these twin brothers, are going to be walking a thousand miles for any lady. It's not going to happen. But when we look at Scripture, we see our Savior, Jesus, he made several really important walks for us. And we're not going to talk through all of them today, um, but... but he, he made several walks that he was engaging people in conversation, that he had a purpose and a plan, that he, when he got somewhere, something specific was going to happen. Uh, and, and today, I want us to walk through a passage, it's in Matthew chapter 14, about a time that he went for a walk. Um, and so we're going we're gonna to unpack this passage of scripture together in Matthew chapter 14. And even if you are even if you're not familiar with this passage, maybe you're new to church, you're new to faith, maybe you're not even a believer in Jesus, that's okay. I'm so glad you're here today. Um, we just want to walk through this together to help you understand how much our Savior, Jesus, really does love us. Um, that he's not going to say something like, I'll walk a thousand miles for you and then not do it. He's, he's made walks for us that have made a difference. And so we're going to look at that in, in Matthew chapter 14. Um, before we get there, though... Um, if you look at this passage in context, and this is a passage a story you may be familiar with where Jesus walked on water. Um, this is in Matthew 14, but if you look at Matthew 13, uh, Jesus is coming out of a uh, just difficult season. And Jesus, remember, he was, 
He was God, but he was man. And so he set aside his deity and he lived as a human on planet Earth. And so he encountered the same things we encountered. He encountered uh, rejection and just being exhausted and tired and all those kind of things. And this is what we see in Matthew 13. Uh, Jesus had gone and he had done some ministry in an area called Nazareth. And Nazareth happened to be his hometown. So he gets to his hometown and he begins teaching. And the people are like, man, this is incredible. This is so good. But this is Jesus, the son of Joseph. Did, did he even go to seminary? Don't, don't his brothers still live in this area? Oh, yeah, 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 they do. And, and his sisters, yeah, we know his sisters. And he's coming back here. Did he, he's not even trained. Who does he think he is? Teaching us, trying to tell us how to live. We changed his diapers, right? I've known him since he was a little tyke. And it says, actually, in Matthew 13, verse 57, and they took offense at him. And this is so interesting because um, Jesus, if anyone was flowing in their gifting and in their calling and in, in what God was, had purpose for them to do, it was Jesus, right? And he was doing exactly what God called him to do. Yet in that moment, in his hometown of Nazareth, there were people that took offense at him. It didn't matter how anointed he was or how gifted he was or the words he said, at the end of the day, their hearts pre prevented them from receiving what he had. In fact, it says um, that at the end of that chapter that he didn't do very many miracles and it was because of their unbelief. Um, there are times in your life that God is going to call you to do something and you're going to step out and you're, you think, man, I'm, I'm flowing in my gifting and it's going to be perfect and here I am and you're still going to have people that will reject you. You're going to do exactly what God has called you to do. You're going to be totally obedient. You're going to hear the voice of God. You're going to step out. You're going to say the right words, and they're still going to reject you because it's not about you. It's not even about the message you carry. It's about their hard hearts. And so I, let me just encourage you. I'm full of encouragement today, right? Read this book. It's going to discourage you. And hey, you're going to be called, and people are going to hate your guts. Like, didn't that just bless you today? Don't you love hearing stuff like that? So Jesus goes through this season, and I, I know that he tried to encourage himself, but he had to be discouraged, right? His hometown rejected him. His own people said, no, nah, who do you think you are? And so he leaves there, and uh, we see in Matthew 14 that he receives word that John the Baptist, his cousin, and the, the forerunner to his ministry, they were, in, in many ways, they were they were connected in ministry, and John the Baptist had been executed and was dead. And you have to understand that the loss of someone you're close to, whether it's a friend or someone you're related to, that can crush you. Especially someone who dies that, in that way. He was executed for his faith and for his ministry. Um, and so Jesus encounters this disappointment in Nazareth. He hears about John the Baptist, and he says, okay, guys, I need a break. And let me just encourage you in this. If Jesus, as the Son of God, could come to a point where he says, I need a break, how much more do we need to recognize those seasons in our lives? When we go, I'm emotionally, physically, spiritually exhausted, and I need to step away for a minute. I just need to take a deep breath. Um, it's better to not let ourselves get in that position, but when we get in that position, it's good for us to step away, for us to take a minute. And what Jesus does, he says, guys, listen, I'm going to go get away, okay? 
you guys leave me alone, I'm going to a desolate place. And so he goes to get away, and when he does, the crowds hear that he's going, and they follow him. So he was like the original Beatles, right? Um, have you ever seen the, the, the video of the Beatles arriving in the U.S., and the girls are screaming like, ah, you know, they're going crazy? And if you're too young to even remember seeing the video of that, maybe it's the Backstreet Boys? Or maybe if you're even newer, like One Direction, maybe? I don't even know. Who's the newest I, I, like, version of that? I don't even know. I'm so out of the loop, I don't even know. I'm old now. So you know what I'm talking about though, right? When, when a celebrity shows up and people are just clamoring to get close, this is what happened with Jesus. He showed up and everywhere he went, miracles were happening. So people were showing up, just clamoring. There, throngs of people were coming to him. And he recognized this place where he goes, man, I'm, I'm exhausted, I'm spent, but I need, I, need, I, I need to bless these people. I need to minister to these people. So he does. And he, he teaches them the word. And Scripture tells us as it gets late, um, his disciples say, hey, send these people away. There's nothing to eat around here. We're in the middle of nowhere. And Jesus is like, yeah, I know. I was coming here to get away from all you people, right? Send them away because there's nothing to eat. And Jesus goes, why don't you feed them? And well, Jesus, we don't have anything. We just got a few loaves and a couple fish. What are we supposed to do with this? And he said, give it to me. And he, he blesses it, and it multiplies. And the disciples distribute this food. And Scripture tells us that over 5,000, there were 5,000 men. But history tells us it could have been as many as 15,000 people were fed that day with just a, a little bit. So Jesus does all this, right? He was already tired. And then he spends hours ministering, pouring himself out. He performs this miracle. And then we finally get to this place where he's like, I'm done, Right? Because again, have you ever been at that place? Mama, have you ever been at that place? I've gotten home, especially when my girls were younger. I would get home, and my wife would just have that look on her face, and she'd be like, it's your turn. I'm finished. And I'd be like, okay, I know what that means, right? Like, she's done. And I'm sure Jesus was the place where he's like, I'm finished. And so this is where we'll pick it up in Matthew 14. In verse 22, it says, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land. It was beaten by the waves for the wind was against them. And this is interesting. And let me just kind of help frame this for you. So Jesus dismisses the crowd. He says, you people... Go on. You don't have to go home. You just got to get up on out of here, right? Just get going. You guys go. Disciples, you're out of here. And then he, once everybody's gone, he, he goes up to the mountain to pray by himself. Uh, which again, if Jesus needed to get away sometimes to pray, why don't we do that more? And so Jesus goes to pray. And we see in Mark that he could actually see the boat from where he was. And, and so he's praying. Um, he's, he's being renewed. And this boat is going across the sea to the other side, and he recognizes the fact that his disciples are in distress. The word beaten here, it says that the waves were beating the boat. The, the word beaten means tested to its limits. So these were men who were called out of um, vocational, like normal, everyday work to ministry. So Jesus called these guys from being tax collectors or doctors at times, or but mostly they were fishermen. There's a bunch of fishermen in his crew. And so these were guys that knew how to sail. They knew the sea. Uh, they'd been in rough storms before. But we see here that this was a little different. The storm they were in, the waves were beating the ship, the boat. And, and it wasn't just 
attacking. It wasn't just beating it. It was testing it to its limits. It was to the point that it was bending so much, if it bent any more, it would break. Have you ever been in a season like that in your life? That maybe you felt like, God, if, if you bend me any more, I'm going to break. I, I, feel, I feel like, God, I've gone as far as I can. I'm, I'm hurting. If, if I hurt any more, that's it. I don't know if I can take any more. So these disciples, they were enduring this distress, this, this moment. I'm sure that they were anxious, even though they had experienced difficult storms before. They had been working for hours to get to their destination, and they were stalled out. In fact, in Mark chapter 6, verse 48, it tells this story uh, from Mark's perspective, and it says, And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. They, they were moving forward, but it was hard. Because the wind was in opposition to them. Uh, let's just be honest. Have we ever felt that way before? I know I have. Like, God, I think I'm moving forward, but I'm not sure. But man, this is hard. God, I feel like I'm making progress, but, but I'm not positive because this is hard, God. This is taking a toll on me. I think we've all been there before. Where we feel like, okay, I'm taking two steps forward and one step back. And I think I'm making progress, but man, it's painful. And what we have to understand is that when we are making headway painfully, like it says in Mark, um, it can be so discouraging to us. But what we have to understand is that God still sees us. Jesus still knows where we are. He sees us and recognizes that place. So last week we talked a little bit about the presence of God and being near Jesus and him being near to us, uh, that, that he will never leave us or forsake us. If you missed it, go back and get caught up. That was, that was a good week for you to you to catch up on. It's a good reminder for us, but here we see that Jesus sees them from a distance and he recognizes their distress. And today, maybe you're in distress. Maybe you're in the middle of a storm. Maybe you're struggling and I've got good news for you. Jesus sees you. He recognizes where you are and he's not going to leave you alone for very long. So Jesus responds. In Matthew chapter four, verse, or 14, verse 25, it says, And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. So when we see this passage, uh, the fourth watch of the night, this is uh, the Roman military had a system for, for, for this. This was a Roman military term. Uh, from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. was the first watch. So the, the, the four watches were 12-hour increment or 12-hour shift throughout the evening from 6 to 6 a.m. And they were broken up into four different watches. So the fourth watch of the night would have been between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So again, if it was evening when they set out, they've been working to get across the sea for 8, 9, 10, maybe 11 hours, trying to get to their destination, struggling to get to where they're going, and Jesus shows up. And um, somehow when I've imagined the story in the past, I've always imagined them working and then seeing Jesus, but just not even recognizing him. Uh, and they didn't recognize him. And the reason was because the wind and the waves and the water and there was salt water in their eyes, and they were so focused on survival at that point that they didn't even recognize Jesus was near them. They didn't recognize the one who'd been so close to them so many times. And, and they cried out in fear. It says they were terrified. 
And I think the reason they were terrified is because Jesus came to them in an unexpected way. See, they knew Jesus was going to show up. Jesus is going to meet us on the other side, right? He said, you go on before me. Well, the implication is I will meet you there. And so they understood Jesus is going to come to where I'm at. But Jesus showed up in a different way than they expected. And it terrified them. And the word terrified here, uh, the Greek word really means to stir up or to agitate. And I think God loves doing this. I think he loves to stir us up and agitate us because when he makes us uncomfortable, it puts us in a prime position for him to move us to where we need to be. For, it, for him to shift our hearts, for him to, to make a, a change in us that maybe we weren't really open to before. But when, when he terrifies us, if I can say it that way, when he makes us uncomfortable, when he agitates us and stirs things up, that's when we go, okay, God, maybe something needs to change in my life. So we see they're terrified because Jesus shows up, and this is what he does constantly in our lives, isn't it? Doesn't Jesus show up in unexpected ways, and it freaks us out? I mean, maybe Jesus isn't showing up in a, in a physical, tangible presence in your life, but I know in my life there's been a few times Jesus has showed up on the scene in an unexpected way, and it, and it freaked me out a little bit. It terrified me. Uh, gosh, just, just over four years ago now, um, I was serving at a church down in Oklahoma City, near my hometown. Uh, it was just a few hours away from my wife's family. Uh, my family, I had some family in the church we were serving in. It was comfortable. I was happy. And then God began to, to stir some things up in our lives. And I got a phone call from this guy, and he said, hey, I'm helping this church in this little town in western Pennsylvania. They're looking for a pastor. What do you think? And I did not have to think very long. I was like, no, thank you. I'm not interested because I've seen the movies. I know how those people in Pennsylvania are. They're rude, right? It's like, it might as well be New York City. The whole state of Pennsylvania is like New York City. I'm not interested in that. Besides, I'm a redneck. I want NASCAR and hillbillies, and that's, that's my people. So we're staying down south. And it's a little exaggeration. About a week later, he called. Man, I really think you need to talk to these people. I said, okay, I'll give them a call. We'll see. And uh, the first conversation I had with the board, it was like, oh, gosh, I really like these guys. Oh. And so I walked out of the office at our house after I'd finished the phone call. And she, my wife said, well, how'd it go? I said, man, babe, I really like those guys. And she said, oh, my God, we're moving to Pennsylvania. <laughs> I said, no, 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 no. Who knows? We'll see. Um, but it was crazy because we had no intention of moving to Pennsylvania. None. Uh, Pennsylvania was not on our wish list. Uh, we wanted to be somewhere in the South, somewhere we knew, something we were comfortable with. And then all of a sudden, Jesus showed up in an in a area that was different than what we had expected. We didn't know anyone in the state of Pennsylvania. I have one cousin who lived in Lancaster at the time or, or out that way, and he has since moved. And so when we moved here, I had a one cousin that I hadn't seen in years who lived on the eastern side of the state, and that was all. And I knew the board members of this church um, but if that went bad, this was going to get ugly fast, right? So we felt like, man, this is a huge risk in some ways. This is a little bit scary. But God had agitated us. He had stirred us up, and we knew something needed to change. So when God showed up, when Jesus showed up in an unexpected way, it was scary. But I will tell you, I'm so glad that we didn't let our fear keep us from doing what we felt in our heart that God was calling us to do. 
Because we would have, we would have been okay. Something would have opened up. We would have been okay. But I don't think we would have experienced anything like what we've experienced here. Because this has been the best four years of our life since we came. We've loved it. And listen, and I'm not saying yay me. That's not what I'm saying. But if I would have been obstinate and said, no, God, you've got to move the way I want, how I want, we would have missed the best four years of our life because I was afraid, or because God didn't show up the way I wanted him to show up. This story could have gone horribly wrong if I would have just said, nope, it's got to be here, it's got to look like this. But thank God that we didn't. I'm telling you today, your obstinance or your unwillingness to say Jesus can show up in unexpected ways might keep you from experiencing the best thing you've ever experienced in your life. Because Jesus is going to show up in your life, but he might do it in a way that, that freaks you out. And if he shows up in a way that, that terrifies you, you have to understand that it's still Jesus. It just might be uncomfortable for you. So Jesus shows up on the scene. They're, they're terrified. They're afraid. And immediately, I love this because he speaks to them. And he says, fear not, it is I. So he says, number one, don't be afraid. And then he identifies himself. It's, it's me. And it, this reminds me, my girls, um, we've got these smoke detectors in their bedrooms uh, that, um, that when you walk in, these nest smoke detectors, when you walk in, there's a light on there, it'll come on to give you like a little path, you know, if the room is dark. So I'll walk into their room, so I'll put them to bed when it's time to go to bed, and then before I go to sleep, usually I'll check on my girls just to make sure they're covered up, and make sure the temperature's good in the room, all that kind of stuff. So I'll walk in, and the light will come on just for a second and there's been a few times Emma my youngest has woken up like and she she's not one of those sleepers that like goes you know like I wish I was one of those she doesn't do that she is like a like that's how she wakes up (laughs) and so there's been a few times that she's woken up while I've been in the room and somehow when she wakes up I'm always standing there like Norman Bates over her And I don't do it on purpose, but I'm sure she's terrified, and I have to go, baby, baby, no, 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 it's just me, it's just me, don't be afraid, right? It's just daddy, it's not an axe murderer, right? <laughs> so what do I do? I reassure her, identify myself, no, 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 daddy's here, daddy's here, it's okay, don't be afraid. And it takes her a minute to, oh, okay, okay. So when Jesus showed up in an unexpected way, they were not expecting Jesus to be walking on the water, right? They were expecting him to get to the other side, but they just, they weren't expecting this. So when Jesus comes walking across the water, it terrifies them, and it's an unexpected way. They freak out, and they, they go, it is a ghost, right? It's got to be. That's the only explanation. And Jesus goes, no, 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 don't be afraid. It's, it's just me. It's just me. It's just me. Don't worry. We got this. And that's how Jesus comes to us. He'll say, no, no, don't be afraid. I know, I know this is unexpected. I know you're terrified, but I got this. I got this. It's me. Don't worry. You see, Jesus comes to us in unexpected ways, but he always exceeds our expectations as well. Um, Matthew 5.41 says, if anyone asks you to go a mile, you go the second mile, right? And that's where we get the phrase, you go the extra mile. It comes from this passage. Um, and so what Jesus is saying is always exceed expectations, So when Jesus shows up in our life, he's not just going to do what we expect. He's going to exceed our expectations. I love that about Jesus. That's what he does. There's been plenty of times my expectations, uh, people have not met my expectations. Um, And that's always disappointing. But I don't have to worry about that with Jesus. Because when he shows up on the scene, expectations are going to be exceeded. And that's what he does. Over and over and over. 
So he says, don't be afraid, it's me. Okay? The storm is raging and he's in the middle of that storm. He says, no, 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 don't be afraid. And then Peter responds in, in verse 28 and he says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Jesus says, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. So what Peter does is, is they're still not quite sure. And, and I'm just, I'm injecting a little bit of, of my own ideas here. But I feel like Peter might have been questioning a little bit. Okay, if it's really you, if it's, it's Jesus, is if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. I'm like, yeah, let's see him. And he says, all right, come on. I can, I can just see Peter going, oh, you mean now? Oh, okay, okay, right. And we love to criticize Peter because he got out of the boat and he began to sink, right? He gets out of the boat and the wind is just raging and the, the, the sea has not stopped. The sea is still attacking the boat. It's still testing the boat to its limits. And so all this craziness is going on. All this stuff is going on. And, and Jesus says, yeah, come on. And Peter gets out of the boat. And we criticize Peter because he sank. And, and again, pastors will say, well, he got his eyes off Jesus and he saw, the, he saw the wind and the waves and he began to sink. And I get it and that's true, but but Peter got out of the boat. There were 11 guys sitting in the boat that did not get out of the boat. Peter got out of the boat. And I got to be honest with you, I would probably be one of the guys in the boat. Peter, but yeah, Peter, you do that. You should do that, Peter. Like, <laughs> we'll see. Get the life preserver ready, right? Like, go ahead, Peter. Peter had the faith and boldness to get out of the boat. So he begins going to Jesus. He's walking on water. And then what happens? Well, he sees the wind and the waves. He sees these, the things in nature that says you shouldn't be doing this. He, he understands the physics behind, I'm not supposed to be walking on water. This doesn't make rational sense. And all of a sudden, his, his, his rational mind engages and it disengages his faith. And all of a sudden, he begins to sink. And we can look at this and we can criticize Peter, but he just has a natural response to the circumstances around him. He is a human being. Because let's be honest, it probably would have happened to me too. It's interesting though, if we look at this story in the context of Peter's life, it looks dramatically different. Because if we look at this and go, well, you know what? Peter was pretty new in his faith at this point. He, he, was, he was fairly new in his faith in Jesus at this point. In fact, if we're going to be honest, he didn't really even have a full understanding of who Jesus was. And so in this moment, he's going to Jesus, and he gets distracted by the circumstance around him, and he begins to sink. Um, but if you fast forward his life to the end of his life, what we see is a man who um, was so full of faith that when he is tried and executed for his faith in Rome, um, Tradition and history tells us that, that when he, it was time for him to be crucified, he said, I'm not worthy of dying the same way my Savior did, so I want to be crucified upside down. So the cross was inverted that he was crucified on. So imagine the agony that Jesus endured on the cross, and now flip the cross upside down, and that's Peter. That's pretty crazy. You could say, oh, he, he lacked faith. Yes, he was immature in his faith at that point. 
but, but that's not the point. The point is he developed, he grew in his faith. His story didn't end there. His story was bigger than that. So you could look at your own life and go, man, I'm so, I wouldn't be sinking in this situation if I just had more faith and I'm, I'm terrible and I can't believe I'm in this place. And why do I feel this way? And you can beat yourself up if you want to. But, but your story doesn't stop now. Your story continues on. Your story's not about, are you sinking? The, the story's about, are you going to rise out of that? Are you going to move forward? Are you going to grow in your faith? Because that's what Peter did. He, he became a man that, that Jesus said, hey, your declaration of faith, your declaration of who I am, that's, that's the foundation of the church. Peter, you're a big deal, right? So he says to him, he Peter begins sinking, and he was afraid because he saw the circumstances, and he cries out and says, Lord, save me. I love this. Um, it's too many times we cry out, Lord, save me, but it's the last possible moment. When I imagine this story, I'm imagining Peter sinking and sinking in this water, and this water's coming up on him. And just before it gets over his head, he takes a deep breath, Lord, save me, and the water comes up. That's what I imagine. It may not be accurate, but that's just my imagination. I imagine Jesus reaching down and pulling him out, out of that. And why is it that that's always the last thing we say instead of the first thing we say? See, I, I want to be a person, and I'm no different, but I want to be a person that as I begin to sink before my pants even get in the water, I'm saying, whoa, whoa, Lord, save me, right? <laughs> okay, okay, I'm going down. I don't want to wait till I'm neck deep. God, I need your help. I think sometimes our stories would look different if we would do that. It says in verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took, him, uh, took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got in the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. So Jesus reached out his hand immediately. Jesus didn't wait and stand by. He didn't say, I'm going to give him a few seconds. He's going to learn his lesson here, right? We've had a few baptisms, and I'm like, why don't you hold them under just a little longer, Pastor Dick? We want to make sure it takes, right? Like, <laughs> I'm just joking. Now, none of you are going to get baptized. But <laughs> Jesus didn't say, well, we're, we're going to see how, we're going to let this one wait just a second. I want, him, I want him to learn his lesson. It says immediately he reached out and took his hand. He rescued him from his place. So what we see here is, is this principle that when we cry out to God, he is faithful to respond to their cries of, our, uh, cries of help. Um, our, when our kids cry out for us, don't we respond? That's what our Heavenly Father does as well. That's what Jesus does here. So he responds to him, and he, he takes him out, and he says to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And this word, um, oh, you of little faith, um, we've seen it several times. Jesus would use this as a rebuke with his disciples from time to time, oh, you of little faith. Um, and really what it means isn't, oh, you of, of small faith. Uh, what it really means uh, is you of um, inconsequential faith. That your, your faith isn't even really where it needs to be, is what it's saying, if, if I can really break it down. Um, let, me, let me read this to you in the message version. It might make a little more sense. In the message in Matthew 17, 20, it says, uh, oh, I'm sorry, let me go back. In Matthew 17, 19 through 20, Jesus is having this discussion with his disciples. And he had just cast out this demon from this little boy, and, uh, and, and the disciples come to him, and they go, why couldn't we do that? And Jesus says this. He says, uh, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like the grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and, there, and nothing will be impossible for you. So what we see is little faith is not the problem. Little faith can still move mountains. Little faith can still make the impossible possible. 
Because it's not necessarily about the size of our faith, it's about where our faith is placed. So when we take little faith and place it in an immeasurable God, he can do incredible things. But, but the word little faith doesn't mean little like we think of it. Listen to it in the message version. He says, be, and they say, why couldn't we cast it out? In the message, he says, because you're not yet taking God seriously. Wow. <laughs> That's an indictment. Jesus, why couldn't we do that? Because you don't even take God seriously. This is serious what we're doing, but you're just playing games. You're, you're just going through the motions. And when I read that, it was like, oh, kind of took my breath away. God, am I taking this seriously? Am I just going through the motions? Am I just playing games? One of our core values here at Summit is big faith. And... Um, we, be, we pray big prayers to a big God because we are never going to insult him with safe living or small thinking. We want to do big things for the glory of God. But what we don't want to do is underestimate the power of little faith. So if, if you're new to your faith as a Christian, Scripture tells us that to each of us is given a measure of faith. So what we have to understand is each of us have faith. And even if you've got a little faith, guess what? That faith is big enough to move a mountain if your faith is placed in God that it's not about how bold you are necessarily, but it's about where your faith is placed. What we see here too is, is Jesus said, oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Doubt and faith are at odds with each other. They cannot coexist. So we can't say, I'm really believing for this, but I don't think it's gonna happen. What that means is you don't really believe for this. You are saying that, but in your heart, you, you're not. Does that make sense? When we get a bad diagnosis from the doctor, we have a choice to make, faith or doubt. We can't do both. We can't say, I'm believing for a healing, but it's probably not going to happen. We've made our choice. It's doubt. What we have to say is, you know what, I believe, and in spite of what the doctors say, in spite of what, what history says, uh, I know what God can do, so I choose to believe. It doesn't make us foolish. It just, it just means we choose faith instead of doubt. Jesus um, in Mark eleven twenty three, 23, he's using this mountain metaphor again. And he says, truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says will come to pass, it will be done. And the reason he uses mountains is because that's one of um, the most impossible things, especially at that time. He, he, he could say, do you see this mountain over here? If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can move that mountain. And I don't think he's endorsing us literally moving mountains. I think what he's saying, the thing in your life that you say is impossible is possible if you simply have a little faith. It doesn't even have to be huge faith. It doesn't have to be Pastor Dick faith or Kim, Pastor Kim faith or Pastor Mel faith. Because I got news for you. Sometimes we don't have big faith either. If you just have a little, you can do the impossible. If you put your little faith into an immeasurable God. See, the presence of Jesus in that boat is what calmed the storm. Did you see that? He pulled him out of the ocean, and it doesn't say that as soon as he did, everything calmed down. What does it say? They got into the boat, and immediately the storm ceased. And the word cease here is so cool, because what it means in the Greek is to exhaust itself. We talked about moms earlier who were just exhausted, right? And tired. Maybe, 
Maybe you're here and you've worked a 12 or 14 hour shift day after day after day after day and you know you just get worn down and finally you're just like, I've got nothing left. All of my energy, all my mental energy, all my physical energy, I've got nothing left to give. I'm, I'm done, right? And this is so cool because what we see here is this word cease um, is, is what we see uh, means exhausted. So when the storm ceased, what it really means is when this storm that was raging, that was battling against the boat, that was testing these men and their equipment to the limits, came into contact face-to-face with Jesus, it was exhausted. It could not stand up in the face of Jesus. I don't know about you, but that pumps me up. Because I know there's been some storms in my life that I've faced, and I recognize the fact that the presence of Jesus changes everything. Now, this is the problem. Many of us come into proximity of Jesus. We can see Jesus from our boat, but that is not what stops storms in our lives. What causes storms to be exhausted is when Jesus gets in the boat. So <laughs> there's a big difference between seeing him from a distance and having him near you. When we bring Jesus into proximity to us, when we invite him into our boat and say, Jesus, I need you in my mess with me. Jesus, I need you intimately involved in this situation that is dramatically different than, hey, Jesus, can you see me from where you are? So when we invite him into our situation, that's when his peace happens. That's when the storms get exhausted, when he shows up, when he gets near us. And the problem is so many of us are going through storms, but we've never invited him into our boat before because that's going to mean something. I might have to change some things. He might ask me to give something up, and I don't know if I'm ready for that, but I just need him to fix this storm. He's not always fixing storms if he's not in your boat. So this is what I would tell you today. If you're encountering storms and situations, you're in distress, you feel tested to the limit, you're in a great place because Jesus is showing up. He is walking into your storm with you. Yeah. See, I know lots of people who will, who, they'll come to you when you're at your best. Oh yeah, they'll do a long walk. They'll come to you and show up when your life is perfect, when you're looking good, when, when, when ladies, your makeup is perfect. Isn't it easy to love someone when their makeup is perfect and their hair is perfect, they don't have croutons in their eyes, when you wake up next to somebody, right? You know what I'm talking about, right? When you wake up next to somebody, you're seeing them at their worth. They got the get back breath, you know, like, "Mm -mm." no, thank you. This is what you have to understand. Jesus is not saying, hey, get yourself cleaned up. Get yourself out. How did you get in that storm? Get yourself out of the storm, and if you get out of the storm, then we can talk. See, Jesus says, no, 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 you're in the middle of something? I don't care how you got there, I'm coming to to you. I'm I'm walking right through your storm with you. I'm showing up to where you are. If we look at one of the other uh, gospels that tells the story, it says that Jesus was walking on the water, and he had an intention of passing them. So he was actually going to pass them. They're working to get across the sea. And I could see them going, gosh, it's so, hey, Jesus. And now, well, uh, you know what I mean? Like that moment, like, what? Anyway, it's Jesus is going past them. And the implication is that he recognizes their distress. And he goes, you know what? I'm going to where they're at. I'm going to help them. I'm going to rescue them. So Jesus comes to us at our worst possible moment. And he's not doing it to judge us. He's doing it to rescue us. And ultimately what happens is he shows up, he, he calms their fears, he gets in the boat, the storm is exhausted, 
And these guys that have been with him to see the feeding of the 5,000, they've been with him to see healings and miracles. All of a sudden, they receive a miracle. Their lives are the ones that were saved. They recognize in this moment, man, this guy is who he says he is. And this is what happens when Jesus shows up in our storms. When he walks into our storms, into our mess, into our grief, into our hurt, into our failure with us, we all of a sudden recognize this guy is who he says he is. He's not just my parents' savior. He's, he's not just my pastor's savior. He's not just, he's my savior. And they fell and worshiped him. They had this moment of intimacy. They recognized who he was. And this is our only response when it comes to recognizing the beauty of Jesus is to worship him. That's all we can do. So why did Jesus do this? Why did Jesus make this walk? I think he did it, number one, to calm their fears. I think he, he did it to calm their storms, and I think he did it to, to bring intimacy into a relationship. And I'm telling you today, if you're in a storm, I think Jesus is walking into your storm because he wants to calm your fears. He wants to tell you it's going to be okay. Hey, I'm here. I'm with you. Don't worry. It's, it's going to be okay. And some of you need to hear that today. I think he's walking into your storm to help calm your storm. Now, the bad news is this isn't a rule. It's a principle. So sometimes Jesus is going to show up and the storm's going to continue. But if he's in the boat with you, you're going to navigate that storm differently. You're going to get through the storm unscathed. It might be difficult. It might be challenging, but you're going to get through it. But I think Jesus wants to calm some storms in this place too. I think he wants to change some circumstances around you. But even if he doesn't change the circumstances around you, I think he wants to change you so you can approach those circumstances differently. And the last thing he does is he brings us to a place of intimacy. And ultimately, I think that's what he really wants to do. He wants to bring us to a place where you go, gosh, you are God. I've got no choice but just to give you my heart, just to worship you and be in relationship with you. That's what he wants more than anything else. Let's pray together. God, we love you. And we're grateful that you're here with us today. I'm thankful that in the midst of our junk, in the midst of our mess, in the midst of our hurt and pain, uh, Jesus comes to us. He pursues us. He doesn't wait for us to get our life together and our act together. But God, thank you that you send your son, that Jesus willingly laid down his life for us to pay the price for our sins. And I thank you that in our mess and in our hurt, he showed up. In our storms, he showed up. Lord, I pray today that you would calm fears in this place. Help people see that you are nearer than what they realize. Lord, help people see that there's no reason to be afraid if you are there. God, I pray that the storms that people are enduring in this place, whether it's with family or their job or their finances or whatever it might be externally, God, I pray that those storms would cease as you come into proximity to them, as you get in the boat, as you connect with them intimately, God. Calm those storms. And God, ultimately, I pray that we would see you and recognize you for who you are and let us fall desperately, passionately in love with you. Because it's, it's love that drove Jesus into that storm and into our storms. So God, let us recognize that today. Now with your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today and you say, Mel, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm not really a follower of Jesus. Maybe you're religious. Maybe you've been here before, uh, but you recognize today, hey, I'm near Jesus. I can see him from where I'm at, but there's no intimacy. He's not in my life. He's not in my boat. And today I wanna, I wanna invite him into my heart, into my boat, to be in a place of intimacy with me. Because I know that's the only thing that's really gonna change my life. 
I'm not gonna embarrass you or bring you forward. I just wanna pray with you where you're at. So if you say to me today, Mel, pray for me. I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life today. I wanna invite him into the boat. Would you be bold enough just to put your hand real high where I can see it? You can put it right back down with nobody looking around. Is there anybody? Thank you, over here on my left. Yeah, a couple hands on my left. Thank you, you can put your hands down. Yeah, I see you, sir, on my left. Praise God. Who else would say, pray for me, Mel? I wanna make Jesus Lord of my life. Yeah, over here on my right. Who else? Just a few more seconds. Yeah, I see you up in the balcony. Praise God. Yeah, thank you. Over here on my left. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else want to join these and say yes to Christ? Thank you. Thank you. Praise God. I'd like every person in this place, whether you raised your hand or not, just to repeat this prayer with me out loud. Say, dear Jesus, thank you for loving me and thank you for coming to me in my mess, at my very worst, you still loved me. So today, I give you my life, and I'm asking you to use it for your glory. Forgive me of my sin, and help me never go back to my old ways or my old life. But from this day forward, my life is yours. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now listen, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, I, I'm so proud of you and I'm so excited for you to see what God's gonna do in your life. And we wanna help you take the next step. Just like we said, if we started a journey to Chicago on foot, we wouldn't take one step and go, well, we're done. The Bible tells us that you are a new creation, that the old is gone and the new has come, but our growth in Jesus is an ongoing journey. And so we wanna help you take the next step. We wanna help you navigate from here to there in a healthy way. And so the best way to do that is to fill out a card. It's in the seat back in front of you. On one side it says salvation. On the other side it says need prayer. If you would fill out the side of the card that says salvation and just drop it in one of our offering boxes as you leave today. There's two in the back of the room, one in the balcony, and then one just outside these east doors. And you can drop it in there and in the next day or so, one of our staff is gonna reach out to you. We're gonna connect you with a relationship, with resources. They're gonna help you grow in your faith. If you're watching online and uh, you'd like to respond, simply text the word salvation to the number 555-888. And when you do that, we're gonna respond back to you. We're gonna help you take the next step as well. And if you live in the area, we're gonna get you plugged into resources here at the summit, but maybe you live off and away somewhere. Well, I know we've got people that watch from Kentucky and Oklahoma and Texas and Florida all over the place. So no matter where you're watching from, if you don't have a church home, we'll help you find a church home wherever you may be. Uh, if you're here in the room and you can't reach one of those cards, just text the, the word salvation to that number and we'll help you take the next step in your faith journey. Uh, right now, the worship team's gonna lead us one more song. We're gonna sing one song together, worship God, and uh, just go after him. And while we're doing that, our prayer team is gonna be available on either side of the stage for prayer for whatever you may be going through. So if you're here today and you've got a storm and you'd like someone to pray with you, uh, come find one of our prayer team members. Let them agree with you about that. And then in just a moment, Pastor Christina Butterworth is our kids' pastor. She's gonna come and she'll dismiss us and close us out. So why don't you stand to your feet all over the room? We're gonna worship together one more time before we go today, guys. And I tell you often, I hope you know this, I mean it. I love you more than you know and I'm so glad that I get to be your pastor. God bless you guys.